Aloha, everyone. I'm your host, Christina Lady Mitri, and welcome to Smart Living Hawaii's podcast, where we discuss smart homes and technology, sustainability, healthy lifestyles, and smart business. Today, we'll continue our Sustainable Leaders series and have a talk story with Bill House and his son, Leif House, as well. He is a local sustainable farmer and own, owner of Kalea Farm, a pre- permaculture farm with organic and sustainable farming practices. And um, we're going to hear from Bill's story and take a stroll down their history of Kalea Farm and what it has blossomed into today. So, aloha, Bill. Aloha, Leif. Hi, how's it going? Hi. Thank you so much for joining me. I want this to just be a talk story. We're just going to kind of go through a whole bunch of stuff that you've done for your past life. And um, really, just a quick snippet that I'm going to say, because I'm going to leave that up to you, Bill. Um, He is a family man who stumbled across permaculture back in the early 1990s. And this way of life became his way of life to this very day. And you can see that through this farm here. And we'll try to explain as much as we can on the farm itself, but it's really a sight to see. And it's a lot different than the typical farms that we're commercially used to seeing for farms. So we'll dive into that soon. So let's dive in to your background, Bill. And you know, where you're raised, how you mm-hmm. got here, <laughs> why, why farming? Good question. Thanks. Um, well, I guess I started farming when I moved up to Kupukea in 1987. Um, originally, my dad was in the service, so I moved. We moved all around the country when I was growing up. Um, I also lived in Hawaii in the 60s when there was no freeway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Um, but yeah, so I went to UH in '82, graduated there, and then I had an art degree. And I started doing drafting for, you know, architects and engineers. And that, be, that was the way I made a living for a while. Um, I moved up to Pupuke. I met my wife, Karen, in 87. And then we bought, you know, an acre up here in Pupuke in 88. And I knew I wanted to grow food. I, I was always into gardening as a kid. Um, and, but what really turned my head around was being able to learn about permaculture at that time. Um, one of my neighbor friends in the community, Ben Hopkins, um, introduced me to permaculture, showed me the permaculture book. And then I took the class, permaculture class on Big Island in 93. And that kind of just turned my head around completely in, in the concept of you know learning how to grow food so that it's all together in a system, helps itself, helps people, and it becomes more like a natural ecosystem that provides food as opposed to just a farm that you till the ground and add seeds over and over again. So it's kind of like a natural ecosystem, but it provides food for, for people and for animals, you know, if you have enough room. Um, but that's how I got introduced to the, the permaculture, and then I just wanted to have a place to grow stuff for my family. Um, that's kind of how I started doing that. So how was it growing up like this, I guess, compared to maybe your friends who don't live up in a farm? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a little different. Uh, when I was a young kid, we didn't have this farm where we're at, but we still had a little garden in Oliva. Yeah, it was, it was fun. 
it just seemed normal at the time, you know, as a kid, whatever you have around you just seems normal. So it just felt. Where did you go to school? Sunset Beach Elementary, just down the hill. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess a lot of people out here too, a lot, our farmers live off the land too. I mean, in comparison to town, <laughs> like yeah, where I'm, yeah, yeah so, so it's a little more acceptable, I would say. And um, I guess what I would love to go into now is how did you stumble upon this land that we're in today, uh-huh. Uh-huh. where we're at? So maybe you can uh-huh. explain right now we're sitting in a shed ish environment protected by the wind but you probably still hear the wind on it because we're not in indoors in like a closed off you know soundproof room by any means Um, but it has this spectacular ocean view sitting up in pupukea and um you know has this nice manicured lawn with the view but behind us is their forest farm maybe you can explain a little bit more about the farm itself yeah um, well, I I just kind of stumbled on this place. Um, I've been living here, you know, for at that time already about, I don't know, almost 20 years and had always seen this place driving up and down the hill. And <clears throat> it always just looked like a totally overgrown, neglected piece of property. And then some friends of mine started living here and they had, I'd wanted to do a farm somewhere and they invited me in to start the farm. I didn't know the owner at that time. Um, and then I just started to try to make the farm. I had a little bit of money um, and I just started it that way. The, the money ran out that I had and then I was actually kind of forced into doing production farming to feed myself and my family, pay the mortgage, all that. <laughs> so it was, you know, I was kind of under the gun for quite a few years financially, um, but just super lucky and grateful to be here. Um, when I first started here, it was basically kind of an overgrown, um, almost a junkyard. I mean, there was cars and trucks and buses, um, piles of rubbish, but mostly just holicola and guinea grass. Um, there wasn't a lawn. <laughs> there was no farm. And there was really no food growing here then. Um, and that was back in. That was nine. That was 2007. 2007. Okay. So started it then, and somehow put it together and got it going. It just to me, it's all because of God. This is all because of the grace of God. And you know, I was never really that religious, but now I am. <laughs> and it's just well, a lots of blessings here for sure. Yeah. yeah thank you. So. From that point, what does I guess Kalea Farms produce? What okay. do you What do you guys uh, grow out here, and what grows really well? And I, and I would love to for you to share your story about Sunchoke as okay. well. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Great. Thank you. Um, well, we grow kind of a combination of tree tree crops and veg crops, kind of mixed together. Like some of our typical tree crops would be, um, you know, avocado, breadfruit lemon, uh, lime, tangerine, stuff like that, the normal stuff, bananas, papayas, and then alongside it or sometimes mixed with it, mixed in with that would be certain types of veg, vegetables, veg crops. Um, some of our typical veg crops would be like lettuce, beans, uh, cabbage, collard greens, kale, uh, beets, carrots, sunchoke we're growing now. Um, 
but just the typical, you know, vegetables like that. Um, right now we're growing some zucchini, some bush beans, some kale. Um, we got a lot of sunchoke in the ground right now. Um, trying to do more kalo. We've grown kalo over the years, and I'm trying to like I'd like to try to expand that as much as we can. Um, tapioca or cassava, we're growing that too. Um, but yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, and maybe you could tell us the story on Sunchoke after you tell us, I guess, who do you sell all your products to in general? I think that helps too. So, it's a new yeah. a new market, mm -hmm. I would say. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, originally we started to try to sell, we had two farmer's markets on the North, or three farmer's markets on the North Shore. Um, and we started off trying to sell there and it was working okay. Um, but the market was up and down, you know, sometimes people would come, sometimes they wouldn't come. And then sometimes we wouldn't sell all of our product. And so I was looking at other ways to, you know, sell it. And I was always reading about town restaurant in the paper and I knew about them. I knew about Ma'o farms and, um, they were my friends from before they started their farm. And I was like, wow town restaurant huh well they, they buy local produce and organic whenever possible huh maybe i'll just give them a call and see what's up so i called him talked to dave called the arrow the first time i called him and i remember the conversation was hey um i got some collard greens and eggplant i don't have a market for could you guys buy that stuff and he's like yeah we'll buy that i'm like huh and so because at that time you know I didn't, you know, restaurants on the North Shore weren't really open to that kind of relationship with farmers, you uh -huh, know, uh -huh. and, but these guys were totally open to it. And that was kind of like my saving grace. You know, they kind of took me under their wing and really helped our business grow. And yeah. I'm super grateful for them. And um, from there, then we started to, you know, have other restaurants in town request our stuff or we sought out other restaurants or chefs in, in Honolulu as well. And that kind of became a mainstay for us, you know, in addition to the markets that we were doing. And um, I guess one of the most interesting things <clears throat> about that, or one of the most special things about that relationship was I started to grow this stuff called Sunchoke or Jerusalem Artichoke. And um, I just a test crop. I wanted to see how it would go. And I brought it into Dave one day and um, he says, yeah, this is this is good, you know didn't know people could grow sunchoke in Hawaii and he knew about it. And um, so he just said, yeah, if you guys can grow more of this, then we'll, we'll try to buy as much as we can. And so that became our first kind of, I guess, springboard with the sunchoke. And from then other chefs in Honolulu started to request it and it's become kind of a pretty neat thing for us. So. Well, Super could you, grateful. I know I'd never actually tried it raw, so I just did today. Um, it's kind of like a crunchy, but I guess you said they cook it and you can make like like a soup and pureed and things of that sort. Um, more of a starch and it's a root. And um, we'll have some pictures and stuff like that and some video that we can add to our uh, social media so you can kind of check it out. Um, but could you... Maybe I know you said town, but maybe some other restaurants that I think most of us are pretty familiar with these days, more of the farm to table type of restaurants that you guys mm -hmm. also mm -hmm. service. Mm -hmm. So um, 
let's see, restaurants that buy it would be uh, Fet, which is down in Chinatown. Um, they started buying it, and they're still pretty much a mainstay. They buy, whenever we have it, they buy as much as they can. Wow. Super grateful. Um, Chef Mavro is another one. It's on McCulley, I think McCulley and King Street right there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, they started buying it about two or three years ago. Um, 12th Ave Grill, it's down in Kaimuki. Um, hi Ho, is it called Hi Ho House or Hey Ho? They started buying stuff. Um, this other thing, this other place called Square Barrels downtown. Okay. Downtown too, they started buying it a little bit. Um, who else buys that? That's all I can think of at the moment. Yeah, so town, town and um, that's Mud pretty Hen cool. We're doing that originally. Yeah, thanks. So, um, I guess I wanted to move into the the um, I guess the hurdles of getting land here in Hawaii because I think when you're looking at this space and you say like this is a blessing from God, I mean you can you can see it as well because you're just like you know. Not everybody has the opportunity to, to acquire land like this or be able to use land like this. Um, and I think if you had to pay for the land like this with the way the way it costs, if you owned it or had to buy it, um, it wouldn't be such a feasible <laughs> farm. Yeah. It yeah. would be more like out of the love of your heart, right, mm -hmm. to be providing food with this cost. So um, I know that you're familiar with a lot of the farmers out here and um, the struggles that people go, you know, go through with getting land. But maybe you could share some of the hurdles with people that don't know, hmm. you know, just in general. Well, in farming. general, see, I think, see what you just mentioned, I think that's probably the biggest hurdle um, to Hawaii becoming a more sustainable place in terms of growing food. Mm -hmm. You know, that's really kind of the crux of the biscuit when it comes to farming, you know. Yeah, you can get a lease, but is it a long-term lease? Mm -hmm. Or can you plant trees? Can you live on it? If you have a lease, does the landowner let you live on it? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's it's kind of one of the biggest issues that we find is, you know, you might get a lease somewhere, but maybe you're driving 40 miles a day to get to your farm. Mm -hmm. You're paying rent at a house somewhere, and then you're driving to your farm. Wouldn't it be much more economical if you could live on your farm? Mm -hmm. And see, this is the drawback that a lot of farmers have. Yeah, and there's a lot of land. I was, I remember showing some land in Kunia, for example, and it's like you can could only have a shack like this, you right. know, and you could have water, but then, you know, you're not really supposed to be living on mm -hmm. it, although... It may happen, but, you know, yeah. it's like you're living in a shack at this huh. point, not a real home. Uh -huh. Yeah. That's, that's one of the biggest things. And the other thing is long-term leases. Yeah, if you have a lease, you know, maybe you get it for five or ten years, you know. But, but hey, some of these plants, you uh -huh. know, you're planting trees uh -huh. to get crops. I mean, you're looking at how many years? Yeah, you know? 12 years, 15 years for good full production, you know, at least 10 years. Yeah. And so if you have a short-term lease, it's kind of hard to do the permanent kind of agriculture. Mm -hmm. you, know, you, can, you can grow plenty of stuff, you know, but if you don't have a long-term lease, it's kind of hard. So that's still a kind of a hurdle for a lot of farmers is that long-term lease. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then the yeah. cost of it, I and would the cost imagine. Of it. Yeah. yeah, and the cost of it, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's all different landowners, all that stuff. But, you know, I think we're kind of making headway in that way. You know, now we have this, the UH has the Go Farm program. Yep. teaching people how to grow food 
that's such a great thing and um you know i'd like to see more programs like that come up and maybe some long-term leases with some of the large landowners we mm -hmm. have still on this island you know um long-term leases would be it's kind of like the key yeah and i think too if we were to work hand in hand with the counties um for example like the big island i mean they have a lot of land and good growing land you know so if there's a way that maybe certain islands are more prone to growing crops or certain types of crops and and that's what they do in a bigger scale then maybe it might be possible to do our food you know security a little bit better <laughs> if yeah. there's if it's because right now all the counties really kind of are on their own own mm -hmm. program right mm -hmm. i mean we have oahu's sustainable you know plan and it really is oahu's focus there's a state initiative but Oahu has their own thing, and then their individual counties have their own thing too. So it's um, getting everybody together, and then I feel like that's the only way for us to make real, real progress. I would so, like to see that. That'd be yeah. wonderful. Yeah. So I also had some other questions for you. Um, I let's talk about some of the unique other fruit crops that you had i remember talking to you the other day about egg fruit mm, maybe yeah, you can right. um dive into that one because i always thought that was an interesting um fruit which i haven't tried yet i gotta try it at some point but you guys made it okay. sound like it was a sweet potato growing in a tree <laughs> it almost did go on leaf jump on in here um, yeah egg fruit it looks like a teardrop and it's yellow and it's probably the size of a, a grapefruit or a softball, but of a water drop shape. Uh -huh. And yeah, the inside is kind of chalky, kind of dry, but uh, really creamy and can taste like a, I don't know, it's kind of unique. It has a creamy, like a mild flavor. How do you prepare it? Do you um, eat it like the way it is or do you have to just, cook it? Just the way it is and it's nice and soft. And Or you can put it in, I like to put it in the curries, like make the curry base thicker. Because oh, really? it'll kind okay. of melt into whatever you're making it. Hmm. And I, I made ice cream with it. Really? Yeah, like make, blending it with coconut milk and it makes a really good ice cream. So it's super sweet, like a sweet potato. Wow. And then it has a skin that's like yeah, soft. Really thin I mean, it's like a thin, skin. yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the you'd, skin. oh, you can, like, yeah. just like you're eating an yeah. apple or something. Yeah. Can huh. Anyhow, it's something that usually is just in the beginning months. When is it usually blossom? Yeah, usually it's December, January, February. We still yeah. have a little bit left. Yeah. Really? A little bit. I have to try it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, they definitely explore with all different types of fruit trees here. Um, there's a lot when we went through his uh, food forest. I have never heard of some of these plants. I think there was one that started with the A. Abu. Abu. And mm -hmm. that, what kind of plant is that? Or what is it? Uh, I don't know what kind of plant it is. It's a tree. <laughs> it's, a tree. It's, from, <laughs> it's from South America, I think, originally. Okay. Um, I think they also have it in you know Southeast Asia, Indonesia, those yeah. areas. And then what does um, it taste okay. like or what is it okay then? so it looks kind of like egg fruit but it's totally different um it's got sort of a gelatinous 
kind of a translucent gelatinous pulp to it. Um, it's super sweet, uh, kind of like star apple. If people know what star apple is, it's similar to that texture, but it's got its own unique flavor. It's, it's really cool. Wow. It's really good. Yeah, I think it tastes like caramel a little bit. Wow. And then do you just eat it like that, or is there a certain way to prepare it? Just eat it straight up. Yeah. yeah. Wow. See, that's another one. See, there's all these different things that I was just like, what is that? And what's that one? There's another one you said is the ice cream tree. Like, what is that one? Ice what's cream the name? bean. Ice cream bean, yeah. So another weird one, yeah. Talk about that one. That's cool, too. Uh, it grows a big pod that can be like two feet two and a half feet long and it, it's sort of like a bean the way it opens up um, and it, you take the skin off and there's like this fluffy inside layer that's around the seeds and you eat that part and mm -hmm. kind of spit like, out the seed yeah you spit out the seed it's just a fluffy really sweet thing again it's, yeah, it's I feel unique. like you're All growing candy <laughs> yeah candy. yeah candy yeah, we so try to grow anything that we've never heard of before because we want to try them. And yeah. it's like boring. You go to the grocery market or whatever you go to, and there's like apples and bananas and oranges. Like we've eaten that our entire lives. And we're in Hawaii, and there's this perfect weather for growing thousands of different types of fruit, yet nobody does. And we can't, we can, so Some why, people why, not? why not? Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. How old are a lot of these trees, I guess, that are producing fruit that you guys have? And I guess mm -hmm. maybe explain, you guys have the different ages of mm -hmm. your forest mm -hmm. and how that works. So at home, some of our trees are 30 years old, like our citrus. I think our egg fruit is about that, maybe 28 or so. Um, here, I think our, probably our oldest one would be about maybe 14, 12 to 14 years old, some of ours. Um, most of the ones we have growing here now are probably between, yeah, eight and eight and four years old. Yeah. And some of them are newer. Some are like some years old. And a lot of the trees take between, what, three and five years to really produce? Yeah. Depends on the variety, but, you know, most of them more like between five and eight years. Okay. Full production. This is a full commitment here type of yeah. uh, crops versus... I guess what we usually see where you just turn and burn <laughs> every mm -hmm. time. Um, now, I also had, um, when you started explaining this, you were talking about how, you know, you definitely explain permaculture in more of an educational standpoint. And I asked you if you had classes and stuff. And you said, well, in a sense, you have classes because you teach the wolfers. And I was like, a woofer? What's a woofer? I'm like right. totally lost. But maybe you could explain that program mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I had no idea about it. And it's a really neat thing, especially for people that maybe mm -hmm. travel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we have people who work on our farm are volunteers. Um, and it, it's part of what's called woofing, W-W-O-O-F. So it stands for Willing Workers on Organic Farms. And this was a program that was started by a lady in England, like in the early 70s. And her whole idea was she lived in London and she wanted to experience farm life. So she would go around and ask farmers if she could stay over the weekend, you know, on their farm and work on their farm. 
and then they would they would give her like a place to stay, you know, mm-hmm. For, mm-hmm. for a weekend. And she thought, wow, this could be a real big thing, you know. How about people stay for like a month or two or even longer, you know, and just do like a work trade. So the farmer gives them room and board, and then they'll work, you know, four to six hours a day. And that was the original program started in England. And then now it's pretty much in every developed country all over the world. I mean, you can even India, Indonesia, Thailand, lots of parts of South America, Japan. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's pretty much a worldwide thing now. And <clears throat> it's kind of neat. So we get people from all over the world, um, mostly from the U.S., though. And it's neat learning about, for us, it's neat because we get to learn about different places in the country we've never been. What they, they teach you, right? Yeah, we, they teach teaching. Them. They yeah. teach us about how, what how they live, you know, things they eat where they live, and things that grow where they live, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, Do you have yeah. any cool stories <laughs> from uh, one of your wolfers? Yeah. Good, good question. Oh, cool that you story. can uh, share. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. We had a recent uh, gentleman here. Is a recent Yale graduate, so. I saw that on his resume. Graduated from oh, Yale. So, yeah, they get resumes, like, too. Huh? It's almost like yeah. AmeriCorps piece yes, kind of very similar. concept. Yeah. Well, we've had a bunch of people come here, and then they sign up for AmeriCorps or the Peace Corps after they're here, and they use us as a reference. So I've filled out a lot of applications with Peace Corps and AmeriCorps huh. guys, giving them a reference, you know, and so that's kind of neat. But as far as wolfing experiences, uh, this gentleman that was just here, his name was Caleb. Um, I, I've never gotten a Yale graduate as a wolfing person, you know, and he's like, yeah, most of my people I graduated with, they all went, you know, to work for Wall Street or the CIA or something. And, um, but super intelligent, almost kind of genius level, you know, knew all the Latin names, all the plants were growing and uh-huh. all this, just incredibly knowledgeable for, you know, I think it was 23 or 24. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, it's people like that, you know, it's a, it, that's one of the gems of our of our wolfing people. And you just never know who shows up, super, huh? <laughs> super super good worker, super good attitude. Um, do they go and do this numerous places, or is it sometimes they're only like they've never done something like this before? Um, both. We get experienced wolfers that have wolfed like all over the world or different places in the country. And then sometimes we'll get people that have never done it before. It's their first time. And they just want to come to Hawaii. Yeah. Well, the, 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 <laughs> yeah, the big thing, of course, the big draw for us is everybody wants to come to Hawaii, right? Yeah. North, I would imagine. You guys are always like stocked up. How many people can you have? Like really host? Yeah, four people. Four at the most. And then yeah. would you, how many people do this? Oh. Or I guess farms. Hundreds here? of people. I think there's probably, I don't know, 15 or 20 whooping farms on Oahu. Wow. And then several on Maui, Kauai, and Hawaii Island. There's pretty much every island. Yeah, it's. I don't know why I haven't heard of this before, um, but it definitely sounds like really cool experience mm-hmm. for people, especially mm-hmm. if you're just wanting. Like, if you are into farming, then you can definitely learn so mm-hmm. much from all these different places you would travel to. Mm-hmm. Seems like a neat way to visit Hawaii too. Yeah. <laughs> um. So let's see. I had some other things. Let's talk about COVID, how it, mm-hmm. since we're still, you know, mm-hmm. dealing with COVID, mm-hmm. um, how has that affected you all? Mm-hmm. Positive, negative, um, 
some mm-hmm. eye openers, things that you didn't think of or, or whatever, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. Um, jump on in. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's progressed a business and sometimes it's hindered ones. So I always like to ask everybody now when I'm interviewing them, mm-hmm. you know, how, how it's been. Well, in the first thing about it is people started calling us an essential worker. And that was kind of hilarious to me because I never really had felt that I'd been essential. <laughs> you know, it's like people just don't really, didn't really seem to have that, you know, mindset awareness of, yeah, farming is essential. Which I've never, it never is. been called an essential person in my life, really. <laughs> so well, that was, that was eye opening. Wow. We're an essential worker. Wow. So I don't know. It's just, but you know, we had a farm stand in the front of the farm before COVID. And then when COVID came, started to be seem like there was a lot more you know interest in our farm stand and what we do mm-hmm. in general people well, didn't I, want to go to the store they yeah. wanted a farm stand outside so that was noticeable yeah well your location isn't necessarily like on a main street that everybody drives by so like they would have to have known about you guys uh-huh. it's just they now frequent it more uh-huh. during covid is that right uh-huh. a little bit more and then just it's mostly people who live up here yeah. We didn't really want to be down on Kamehameha Highway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we wanted to just keep it like within our neighborhood yeah. and have it more like a community feel. Well, I do know that when COVID did hit, all the CSAs were all booked up mm-hmm. and Oahu Fresh and a whole mm-hmm. bunch of others. Like you couldn't buy local produce. It was like insane. And you're just like, what's going on? You know, and and then, you know. I'm assuming that's when you guys probably just had your influx mm-hmm. of like interest. Mm-hmm. So how's it been now? Has it kind of mellowed out or? Pretty good. Um, uh, the, and originally, a lot of the restaurants had to go to, you know, takeout only, but they're still buying from us. You know, they would buy less from us, but going okay. And then now they're almost, almost to a hundred percent. So they're right. buying a lot more than, you know, say a year ago. Mm-hmm. It's not too bad. Yeah. What about... You did mention, I think it's Kalihi Kokua Health Center. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could dive into that one a little bit. Mm-hmm. So one of our fellow farmer uh, friends, uh, Mark Hamamoto, is with Mahalo, Mahalo Farms in, in Wailua, um, recommended that, you know, introduced us to Kokua Kalihi Valley or root, they call it Roots Kalihi is the, they have a cafe inside a health center and they buy only from local farmers and organic whenever they can, as much as organic. And it's pretty neat. You know, they call it the pharmacy spelled with the F-A-R-M. Oh, cute. And so they're teaching people about healthy food, local food as part of their health experience. Right. Which I think is really neat for health center. Yeah. And so they, you were, you were mentioning to me earlier that they basically, what do they have? They have the farmer's market and then mm-hmm. they sell your products there? Mm-hmm. They have a little mini farmer's market. I think they have a mobile farmer's market where they go to door to door for elderly people. Oh, wow. And they accept food stamps and then they take double the value. They'll give you double the value of your food stamp. Wow. So it's kind of neat. They take food stamps and they buy from local farmers. Um, they have local produce in their cafe. And when COVID hit, they actually started buying more from us. <laughs> oh wow so, so that kind of offset a, things uh, for you all. yes it did it was very grateful mm-hmm. awesome so we're close to wrapping things up but i was wondering 
I know that um, you've been asked this before, but what do you envision your future looking like? Well, my well, I know future... your future might be leaf here, but yeah. I... <laughs> I, I well here on this place or just in general. How about um, the farm itself, <laughs> okay. and and yeah, your ambition for Kalea Farm. And... I guess our ambition is just to. Well, I guess our goal is to plant more trees, um, get it to be more productive, provide more food for the community. Um, I'd like to be able to teach more people about permaculture, <laughs> people that live here, you know, woofers yeah. are great, but I'd love to be able to be teaching people that are from here, yeah. you know, about it. Um, I've had a few opportunities over the years, you know, but I think, yeah, that's the vision is doing more permaculture and teaching people about it. Showing cool. them how to do it. <laughs> um, before we jump off, I did want to mention this one thing that you're showing me, which was, um, I guess, growing on top of your ulu trees. Oh, that little, yeah. yeah. I I yeah. did do a video of you explaining it, but I wanted to mention in the podcast so you can kind of share. But Leaf, could you explain what you're doing to, um, I don't know recreate that plant <laughs> yeah clone yeah. it or propagate exactly it. yeah and it's called air layer and you take a, a branch of it on top of a already growing tree and maybe like half an inch thick to a quarter or a three quarter inch and you remove some of the bark and add like a rooting hormone and then you create a capsulated uh piece of soil that's around that root or uh, around the bark where you took off and you seal that off and you expect or hope for some roots to grow on the branch and then once the roots established in that little capsule on the branch you can remove the branch and put that into the ground or into a pot and you have basically a, a clone of the tree that you can regrow and have another tree and keep the cycle going. Do you feel like the trees come out just as good as the plant that you just took it from? Or is it like that one movie with Michael Keaton and they all get... <laughs> yeah, they seem to, seem to go. They seem to like it. Some people say they don't establish like a, a strong root system that way, but I think it, it depends on the, on the tree. Like you can't do it with every tree. Mm -hmm. What are the most common ones that you guys have seen success with? Uh, any citrus seems to go really good. Um, and the ulu seems to be working pretty good. But mostly citrus is what we've experimented on so far. And then when you, I guess, how much time do you save by doing that versus planting them oh, with a seed? Years, yeah, yeah? years. From a, from a seed maybe expect fruit seven to ten years and from an air layer maybe four to three years oh that's huge or instantly like some of the the lime trees i've been doing they i took them off of the tree maybe four months or six months ago and they have fruit in the pot they're fruiting ready to go almost wow that's pretty cool and that's six months compared to yeah six years yeah that's so big difference awesome well i think that's pretty much it. is there anything else that you guys want to share with us hmm. that i know there's a ton of things you probably could share but i mean you know hmm. if anything that you're like 
itching to mention. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. I just like to th- say thanks, thank you to my family and my friends and people in the community that have known us through this time and have always felt a fair amount of support from everyone around here and what we're doing. And just like to say thank you. Awesome. Yeah. How about you, Leaf? Anything else you want to share? Yeah, just grow your own food or at least support someone who's growing food in Hawaii. That's awesome. That's kind of the goal, right? The goal is to stay local, grow local, so we can um, be sustainable here on our island and not bring so much in that we don't need to. Um, and it be more of a ecosystem within ourselves, right? That'd Such be... a perfect place to grow. It food. is. Like I mean, year round, you can grow. Food. Exactly. Un- unbelievable compared to the rest of the world. If we can do it with the urban core that we have here in Hawaii and the land that we have, um, it would really be a testament to the world of what's possible. I think we could be like a little, you yeah. know, prototype here. Yeah, always <laughs> teach the world how to do this. I always right? thought yeah. of Hawaii as like a mini earth. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much. Um, I will have some video clips and some cool pics of things here. The way they grow, um, like you'll see the weeds and things in between. It will not look like a typical farm, but it's producing great organic food. So that's the cool thing about it. So just to wrap things up, thank you guys so much, Bill and Leaf, for your time today. I know this is probably taken away from you uh, nurturing the gardens that you have growing. <laughs> and um, thank you all for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast at www.smartlivinghi.org. Also follow us on Instagram at, at smart underscore living underscore Hawaii and like us on Facebook. Um, we will have all of Kalea Farms' um, Facebook, Instagram, website, you know, emails and all of that sort on the link for the podcast. But if you guys want to give a shout out where they should go right now, maybe um, on Instagram or your website, do you want to yeah, mention? It's just, uh, just www.kalea-farm.com. All right. And Instagram, same thing, Kalea Farm on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. You'll find them there and um, check out their farm stand. I guess you guys are here when? Every Saturday morning. From what time? From 9 to 1. 9 to 1. All right. Mahalo, guys. And until next time, live smart. Thank you. Wow.